WBT. A couple of emails here uh, from the previous hour. Pete, regarding the Red Mirage in Pennsylvania and Michigan, they count the early votes last so they will know just how many votes to have printed up. Well, look, if if you're a, if you are ascribing motive to the crappy law they have, then why haven't Republican legislatures changed these laws when they had the opportunity? They should have changed the laws, but they're not. They haven't. So at some point it falls on them too. So, I, you know, but again, I, I, look, I'm not an expert in all of these other states. And, and this was, I had a discussion with somebody on Twitter about this. Like I can only do what I can do. And that's why I started off reading that, uh, that tweet thread from the Republican lawyer who you know, encourages people to get involved. If, if these things are of such concern, right? I mean, look, I've spent my entire career covering elections, you know, trying to keep people informed because I believe I got into this line of work because I believe in the constitutional responsibility and the role of a free press. That's why I do this and have been doing it. That's why I got into uh, mass communication broadcast initially. It was originally a journalism major, but then went broadcast. I mean, because, you know, when you have the talent like I have, it's just you can't can't be. <laughs> no, I, it was an easier. I think I had to take fewer science classes. Um, I'm just kidding. That's not true. That is why I joined MassCom, though. But no, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just I've said too much. If you believe these things are of vital importance to our society, right, to America, then I urge you to get involved. And that means volunteering on Election Day, volunteering at, you know, to become a poll watcher, to go work for the Board of Elections. They always need volunteers to help. And by the way, if you think that the systems are rife with fraud, and I'm not denying fraud exists. I have been one who has brought stories to light of all of the fraud. I've got one of the stories here from Andy Jackson. Three stories of election fraud right here in North Carolina, not counting the Ninth District shenanigans. Uh, three three cases over the last, uh, what, 15, 20 years. There's another one going on. It's out in Western North Carolina. I've been, uh, it's, it, it, yeah, I, I can't figure out all the details, but I don't even know if it's going to matter, but it looks like it might matter. It's a very small town council race, but that still matters to that town, right? The election fraud that these people are alleging against each other in the primary, it still matters to those voters. So when they say, oh, the fraud doesn't affect the outcome, it can affect outcomes. If you can, you know, figure out a way. I mean, look at the absentee ballot harvesting in the 9th Congressional District race, Mark Harris and uh, and Dan McCready, right? Democrats believe that's what caused them that election. Or how about uh, Newby and Beasley? There was only 400 votes separating them. How about Pat McCrory and Roy Cooper? Only 10,000 votes separating them. Um, let me get to this uh, audio here. Well, hang on a second. Mike has a comment on unopposed candidates. All right, Mike, let's hear it. Hello, Mike. Welcome to the program. Thanks, Pete. If somebody doesn't have an opponent, can we call it a walk instead of a race? I like it. And, and what is the Republican Party, what kind of accountability do they have for not being able to actually convince people to spend some time and money to run? Well, look, this is a challenge for both parties in different areas, right? Uh, uh, I remember I've got one here, one story here from earlier in the campaign cycle where uh, the headline was Democrats, where is it here? Democrats can't beat someone with no one. 
and they talk about all of the they have a Democrats had failed to recruit candidates for 41 of the 170 state legislative races and and Dem, uh, Republicans they had recruited candidates in all but 10 of the races so Republicans have an easier time recruiting candidates for a lot more seats Democrats not so much particularly in the rural areas right so that's their challenge Re- uh, Republicans have a much harder challenge in the urban areas and especially like the judge races. I do, yeah. yeah, and so and I, I think that's right. And I think that's in large part, I, I think there's no excuse for the no sheriff opposition. I, I don't understand that. But I do get the judge one because judges are lawyers, right? They come from the legal community. Uh, a lot of people in the local Mecklenburg bar know each other, right? They're, they're, they work in different firms with each other and they cross paths in the courtroom and stuff. Uh, and so that pool is much more insular, and there are, are not a lot of Republican lawyers just in general, right? right? There are more Democrat lawyers, and the voters are all Democrat, and then the, the district lines are drawn to ensure Democrat judges get elected. And so you, it's a very different – like uh, Judge Michael Stadding, who's running for North Carolina Court of Appeals uh, in this election cycle. He's a Mecklenburg County District Court judge. If he were to run again in that district – he probably would not win again, even though he's, I mean, he even got the observer's endorsement because people who appear before him in court believe him to be fair and smart and a good judge, even the Democrats. So, uh, but he couldn't probably win re-election in that district court uh, boundary anymore. Right. Would public funding of elections make it easier for people to run? No. All right, good. Yeah, no, it, it, it just, it, you're just... You're just giving money um, out of the public treasury where they spend it on their on their campaigns and stuff. And that's it. Right. So there's no difference there. I mean, I guess you could make the argument that some Republican lawyer would throw his name in the hat in order and then take the money and be able to mount some sort of a of a campaign and not have to worry about fundraising. But that doesn't mean they're going to win. You know, it they're because the, the demographics of the districts are such that they, they don't have much. Republicans should not be able to call themselves the law and order party if they can't get a sheriff candidate to run. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, it's. It, I don't understand that. I think for a very long time they had sheriffs that were Democrats that they were okay with, and I don't understand what has happened where they don't even they they can't even find candidates. Maybe because people with law enforcement backgrounds, um, they're either you know if they're on the job they don't want to run against the boss and get fired. Um, uh, or they, uh, or or they're working at like the city level or something, and they don't want to give up their job in order to become sheriff. That might be it too. I don't know. All right, Pete. Thanks for your uh, great work. Yeah, man. I appreciate the call. Thanks, Mike. Good questions. Um, yeah, I, I I don't know why they can't recruit. I saw the same thing in Asheville. I think the same thing went uh, was going on up in uh, I think in Raleigh. Uh, all right. Anyway, so uh, hang on. I had another. Hang on. Yep. Here's a. Uh, Here's a message from Brett. He says, Pete, I was a gunnery sergeant in the U.S. Marine Corps. Please tell everybody to go vote. It's a better way to honor a veteran, all of them from 1776 through the present. I agree. Brett, thank you, and welcome home. Thank you for your service. Joseph says, are the other, are the other states stupid, or does the late counting of mail-in votes give them a chance to stuff the boxes with the 100% voting participation rate out of the rest homes. Well, again, like if these are Republican 
state-run legislatures, they can change these laws, but they haven't. So I, I got to believe it's stupidity. <laughs> By the way, as if stealing the election wasn't bad enough, I woke up this morning to see they're rigging the Powerball now, too. The tinfoil hatters are right. <laughs> yeah, I, I was like, what is going on here? How do we not have the Powerball numbers? Never before in our history have we seen this. And for some reason, I looked at some numbers last night. I thought they were the numbers, but they apparently weren't. So I crumpled up my numbers and I threw them away. Well, then I had to fish them out. I mean, because I did it online. So I went and fished them out and got them back out again. So now I got to wait and see. Because I guess they, they did the drawing this morning. I think the numbers are out. I haven't checked. So like you could be talking and listening to a, a billionaire right now, right now. And nobody knows it. After today's election, if the Republicans do in fact take a majority in the U.S. Senate, is it possible to calculate just how completely useless Vice President Kamala Harris will be? I don't think so. I'm not sure they've invented a machine that could count that low. Uh, Her only real function now is to break tie votes in the Senate, but if Democrats are in the minority, she won't even be able to do that. I guess she'll just have to get back to securing our border and being the cheerleader-in-chief for yellow school buses. All the best, Matthew. Thank you, Matt. Appreciate the email. You can email Pete at thepetecalendarshow.com. The phone number is 704-570-1110 and 1-800-WBT-1110. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. If you are into North Carolina politics, I recommend you catch a podcast. It's called the Do Politics Better podcast it's it's aspirational um it's uh it's hosted by two lobbyists brian lewis and sky david and it's sponsored by new frame the north carolina travel industry association and the north carolina beer and wine wholesalers association which i suspect might be the clients i think the travel industry and the beer and wine wholesalers i think they might be clients of new frame which is brian lewis and sky david so this is their podcast. And they they go, like I said, they go they go behind the curtain and they talk about because they, they're up there all the time lobbying and stuff. So if you want sort of an inside politics look at some of these relationships and, and measures, uh, it is very NPR-ish in its delivery, unlike yours truly. Um, so they do speak in a very what would you how would you categorize that that NPR delivery style? Sleepy? Kind of? Yeah. Yeah. Narcoleptic? No, I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. I kid NPR. I kid them. Um, <laughs> no, so they had Nathan Babcock and Morgan Jackson on um, a couple of weeks ago. Babcock is a political consultant for Republican state Senate candidates. And uh, Morgan Jackson, part of his job is to direct Governor Roy Cooper's political investments in key General Assembly races, right? So these are uh, Babcock's the Republican, Jackson's the Democrat, and they run campaigns. Their job is to get people of their party elected into the legislature. Morgan Jackson said that there are four Senate seats where Biden got 49 to 52 percent of the votes, and these are going to be the key to determining if the GOP gets the supermajority. Because they're basically they're like it's an evenly split county uh, or a, rather Senate seat, according to Biden v. Trump. So I don't know if that holds, but that's why these are the closest seats. 
the Republican Nathan Babcock agrees that it's going to come down to four or five seats. Michael Lee um, against Marsha Morgan down in New Hanover is the most expensive race so far, even though it's a cheap media market. That's going to break records, I'm sure, for GRPs in a Senate race. Uh, you've got uh, Valerie Jordan and Bobby Hannig is a big race. you got the two seats in Wake County. Uh, with Mark Cavallaro against Sidney Batch and E.C. Sykes against uh, Mary Wills Bodie. And then you have down in Cumberland County, uh, Wesley Meredith against Val Applewhite. Th- those five seats will determine, you know, if, if the Republicans win supermajority or not. We, we need to win two out of those five to get the supermajority. That's it. Two out of those five. And those are very evenly split counties, right? As I mentioned, one of them was a, a plus a, a zero, right? It's just, it's even. So Morgan Jackson... Governor Cooper's guy, says there are very different issues that influence turnout in the rural versus suburban versus the urban districts. You're obviously seeing the economy is an issue everywhere. Uh, You see, especially in districts that have a suburban influence. And of the seven or so we're talking about in the Senate, six of them have heavily suburban electorates or influenced electorates. And abortion is a real key in those yeah. districts. We're seeing, mm. especially with suburban college-educated voters, that abortion is a driving issue for them this fall and what motivates. Yeah, I think that might be a little wish-casting. Remember, these are political consultants that are trying to get their guys and gals elected. So you have to keep this in mind as you listen to these answers. Jackson is not going to come out and say anything that's going to jeopardize their electoral prospects, Right. So when it comes to the kind of projections of turnout and whose message is resonating and all of that, you know, he has to make this argument that it's all about the abortion issue when all of the polls say no. Okay, that might be the case for the demographic that's already voting for you, but that's not winning you votes. The economy, inflation is the top issue, followed also then by crime. And then you get the other ones like immigration, abortion, um, and health care. Right. And and, oh, I'm sorry. The democracy. Right. Then you get all of these other issues. But the big one is the economy. That's tops. And Democrats have no message on this. Republicans can argue on this, but I think a lot of them at the state level are just kind of hoping to uh, to ride the down ballot wave. You know, Jackson said midterms are about motivation. He's exactly right. The party that's most motivated wins. And. Um, as the you know, former Charlotte Mayor Pro Tem Lynn Wheeler used to say, that the primary is where the angries turn out. And that's true. People who are mad at the direction of the government, they are way more motivated to vote. That's why the president's party always loses seats in the midterms. Because the party in charge, you know, gets beaten up. Because people aren't happy. The ones who are happy, they're not turning out. They're like, eh, I'm happy. Oh, it's today the election? I didn't even notice. Right? They're not even paying any attention. You also have a, 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 a chunk in there that are Democrat voters. They're not happy either, but they're not going to go vote against Biden. Or they're not going to go vote against Sherry Beasley. Right? They're not going to turn out and vote against Democrats. They're just not going to turn out. Um, He said, much of this cycle, the GOP has been angry since Biden was first elected, but the Dobbs decision got Democrats angry, and whoever is able to turn out their base best wins. And in midterms, there aren't as many mushy middle, as Rush used to call them, right, mushy middle swing voters. 
There, there aren't as many of them anymore. And these are the ones who swing presidential year elections, but this isn't a presidential year election. So they're not, they're not going to be there, by and large. Nathan Babcock said that the most important factor in a midterm election is the president's favorable and unfavorable rating. The president's party usually takes punishment from the electorate because they're generally uh, there's a backlash from the previous election. We all know that. that that's been true for 100 years. There's basically been, only been two times in the last 80 or 90 years where that trend has been bucked, where the where the party in power in the White House has actually picked up seats in Congress. This only happened twice since since Franklin D. Roosevelt. So the right track, he also talked about right track, wrong track polling. That can be useful as a predictive trend as well. When two-thirds of the electorate believe we're on the wrong track, and that split doesn't change much after the Dobbs decision, it indicates, he says, that the voters are about to take it out on the president's party. We do a lot of polling. We've been tracking this all summer and into this fall to see kind of where the voters' priorities lie in terms of abortion versus economy versus crime. I think it really peaked this summer uh, over voters being really engaged over the abortion issue. I think that's waned a good bit. And, and you see that nationally with Republican poll numbers improving. You see the generic ballot for Republicans ticking back up again. So I think the resting heart rate of the of the electorate right now, the political environment that's standard when you have a midterm election like this is voters are ready to throw out the party in power, which mm-hmm. is the Democrats. But Morgan Jackson, the Democrat, says there is a limitation to the right track, wrong track poll. Traditionally, what you see with a right track, wrong track is one party, whoever's party's in charge, thinks everything's going fine. Whatever party's out of power thinks everything's in the tank. And what you're seeing now is most of voters think the country's on the wrong track for one reason or the other. But it doesn't necessarily equate to we're going to throw the bums out one way or the other. Babcock then responds that the right track, wrong track figure speaks to motivation, right? Even if the wrong track number includes a lot of Democrats who are mad that, you know, the Dobbs decision, right? That anger doesn't translate into a desire to vote for essentially more of the same. Jackson then says that 99.9% of Democrats at every level on the ballot are overperforming Biden. But there's a phenomenon that might be taking place that it is not that Democrats are over our excuse me overperforming biden is that biden is underperforming democrats mm-hmm. and what that means is the floor is higher uh for democrats this cycle we're seeing it in every single poll we do that a state senate democratic candidate is polling anywhere from five to seven points better in every single one of these districts districts we're going to win and districts we're going to lose let me be clear uh more than biden is and so biden may not be the anchor around the neck of his party the way that you have seen in traditional cycles for a democrat and republican president so you hear what he's saying? And again, keep in mind, he's got to try to, you know, dress this up and keep the troops motivated and such. But he's saying that Biden isn't dragging down Democrats, that they're overperforming Biden. And that means that Democrat support across all of the different races is going to be higher than Biden's approval numbers. And people are able to make that distinction. Now, I'm not so sure, because this also comes out, in their discussion, I'm not so sure that a lot of people are making those connections, first of all. And to the point earlier where uh, people ask, well, you know, Governor Roy Cooper, he's a Democrat and with the GOP uh, majority, but not a supermajority, they can balance each other out. 
I'm not sure most people even know that. I'm not sure most voters know that. That is something that I think politically interested and active people know. But what do I know, right? Just a radio host. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. 704-570-1110. 1-800-WBT-1110. Let's go down over here to Lillian. She's been waiting patiently on the phone. Hello, Lillian. Welcome to the program. How are you? Hey, thanks so much for taking my call. Sure. I voted this morning, and boy, was I shocked when I saw the ballot come up. Uh, when I got, I pushed, uh, anyway, when I got to, to one party where they only had one candidate, mm-hmm. or, they, or they had three candidates, but they didn't have the, candid, the party of my choice, mm-hmm. I just bypassed it. Right. There was no write-in, so I just bypassed it. But the computer, the screen, stopped me. Mm-hmm. And it said, you have not voted your full quota. So you have to go back and recast your... It didn't... I can't remember the exact... No, are you voting in Mecklenburg County? Yes. Right. I got the same message because I left all of those blank, too. You do not have to fill those in. It says, it says uh, you've not voted your full ballot, um, and then you know, it gives you the opportunity to make sure that if you missed it on accident that you got to vote. Yeah, but if but you just skip ahead, you say, no, I don't, and you have to do it every single time. It is annoying because I had to, like... No, no, but what it did was it threw me. And I looked at that, and I read it again two or three times, and I thought, this is really crafty. Who, who wrote this ballot? Because somebody who, who doesn't really understand our voting procedure, if they read that, they may think that they're supposed to go back and elect one of those people. Right. Well, they, they put the warning in there, much like they put most warnings on things for the, for the morons. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, for stupid people that uh, they they miss the they miss, you know, seven, eight, nine different races and they unintentionally left the the ballot blank. And then they have to be told, hey, idiot, do you actually want to leave these blank because you left them all blank? And then they're like, oh, my gosh, I didn't know I left them blank. And then they go back and, and do it. Um, but well, if you're I trying to leave them blank, you yeah, you can get past all. Of, you don't have to vote in. You, you don't have to vote in any of the races. Oh, I, no, I understand. Yeah. That. No, I I I fully understand that, but I just thought to myself, I think that's a trip. I think that's a trip up for the one party who mm. may have put that in there purposely. Well, yeah, I don't know. I think it just looks that way because you're voting in Mecklenburg County, where all of the seats are controlled by Democrats, basically. So. Right. You don't see Republicans. If you went to a Republican county, you might see the opposite if they're using the same machines. Yeah. Yeah. So, Lillian, I appreciate the call. Okay. All right. Thank you. All right. Take care. Um, All right. So let me get back to the. uh, Oh, hang on a second. I got a message here on the sheriff question from my friend Ray Cooper. That's his Twitter name. Anyway, uh, he says the problem with the sheriff candidates goes back to the North Carolina Democrat patronage system and the fact that law enforcement was where it made its last stand. Your candidates with enough experience to be viable sheriff's candidates now mostly started their careers under that system when almost every county had a Democrat sheriff and you didn't get a job in state law enforcement or most big cities unless you played the game. Remember, 
it was the corruption with the patronage system and the DMV enforcement arm that led to the entire de- that entire department being disbanded and uh, brought the corruption to public scrutiny. The DMV corruption scandal came to light in 2002. So your people with 30-plus years in law enforcement got their start with a good 10 years under it and have been supervised and led their whole careers by people who owed their careers to that patronage system. So in counties like Mecklenburg, that system has been even stronger and still exists to some degree to this day. Um, well, yeah, and, and this is one of the things, um, you know, North Carolina or uh, Mecklenburg County, you know, we had, and this is the case also up in Raleigh area. This was the case in Buncombe County. Uh They had sheriffs. We had a sheriff, Jim Pendergraf, and then Chip Bailey. uh, I think Carmichael also, right? These were all guys. This is the one that you hear the current sheriff, McFadden, he keeps talking to is like the the good old boy system. And then through the, what was her name, Gina Hicks, his opponent in the last primary, a black woman Democrat who has been running the jail for all these years, and nobody's been dying in the jail when she was running it, and then McFadden takes over, fires her, and people start dying. So she ran against him, and he accused her of being part of the good old boy system. So uh, these, you know, we, we used to have conservative Democrats as sheriffs. The one in Buncombe County, Sheriff Van Duncan, uh, after he retired, he said, "I'm out of the Democrat Party." He said they left me, and he he ripped up his registration. So maybe that's the good old boy system that McFadden's talking about. Um, what else? Oh, back to this. Uh, the podcast quotes here. All right, so Morgan Jackson, Democrat consultant, works for Governor Cooper. He said Donald Trump has a larger impact on the electorate than any president in modern history. He is a motivation for voters of both parties. He he seriously agitates the Democrats, makes them angry, gets them to turn out, and he seriously motivates Republicans. They both agree, both Jackson and Nathan Babcock, the uh, Republican consultant they both agree the economy is the top issue for most voters but jackson said he sees similarities between this year and the 2018 midterm elections in 2018 democrats were building a really large blue wave for much of the year and then the brett kavanaugh hearings came around Mm -hmm. and what that did was it gave republicans something to be mad about and something to be energized about and Democrats had a better year than Republicans in 2018, but it was greatly diminished from what it would have been pre-Kavanaugh. And I think the same thing's true uh, with the Dobbs decision. I mean, I would tell you, in 2018, I think we'd have broken the majority in the state house. I think we'd have picked up at least one more U- uh, North Carolina Senate seat had it not been for the Kavanaugh hearings. Yeah, I'm not so sure. But maybe. I, I don't know if Dobbs is as motivating as Kavanaugh, because I think a lot of people that were not... Um, as interested in politics, I think they saw what was happening and it angered them. I think you had a lot of people who were not Trumpers, not pro-Trump. They were maybe more of this, uh, you know, suburban, moderate Republican female kind of voter. I think a lot of those folks, a lot of the, uh, the I don't want to say never Trumpers, but the people who did not care for Donald Trump as Republicans, as moderate Republicans, and they voted for Biden because, you know, he was warm and, you know, he, he he would restore dignity and politeness in, uh, to the office as he sniffs people's hair. Um, oh, I'm just kidding. He just sniffs the females' hair. Anyway, uh, the those voters they they I think got activated in a way that I don't think 
abortion-focused voters get activated. Because I think if your sole issue is abortion, you're not voting for Republicans anyway. Seriously. If that's your number, if, if, if you are a single-issue voter and abortion is that issue, you don't vote for Republicans. You just don't. And if you get angry by the overturning of Roe v. Wade and go, it going back to the court, uh, going back to the states for the states to decide, if you oppose that idea, I'm thinking you're probably not a Republican voter in the first place either. So I don't know if that translates to votes. <laughs> News Talk 1110-993-WBT. 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. We're going over the elections today all over the place. My focus is North Carolina because that's where I feel like I can do the most amount of uh, service, right? Uh, you got national people covering national stuff. Uh, and I'll talk a little bit about some national things, you know, but like tomorrow we'll have results for a lot of this stuff. We'll have results and then we can talk about the results and what do we you know, think it means and how did it play out that way. I don't make predictions on election outcomes anymore. Uh, I get probably closer to making these. I get closer to to more speculation on this stuff on the uh, at the state level than I do at the national level because I don't trust any of the polling anymore. I mean, that's one of the problems. I don't trust any of the polling. Uh, I don't trust any of the national analysis. I think there are too many states. There are too many moving parts, too many polls, too many operatives. Uh, and it's just it's it's not worth my time and effort. For me personally. So I focus on stuff that I can hopefully have a have an impact on. State and local. Uh, and uh, I think North Carolina, the election systems that we have, not perfect, I think are better than a lot of states. I think a lot of states where we see these problems occurring, I think they could have had fixes put in place and they just haven't done so. To whoever's shame, whether it's Democrats or Republicans, I don't care. I don't, you know, like to me, it's insane. You're not starting to count the early votes and the absentee ballots. You're not counting these already on election day. You should already be counting them. We release our number after the polls close, so you know early voting, absentee ballot voting. I think that makes sense, and this way you don't have the big dump of all the votes later on. And that's where you see, by the way, like that chart. You know where I've seen it, where you know it's got a blue line and a red line, and and it spikes up. And every state has different rules, and people start thinking that the rule in their state applies to a rule in another state or applies to a different state, and and that's not necessarily true. So a lot of that spike in the Democrat vote totals came because the dumping of the early votes that were not counted until the polls closed. And so you see all of the the Election Day voting uh, uh, tallies coming in, and those favor Republicans. That's why they call it the red mirage. All right, let me jump over here to Ralph. Hello, Ralph. Welcome to the program. Hey, Pete. Hey. Uh, my question to all the suburban soccer mom housewives and the never Trumpers and the people that just voted out of hate and everything, this economy and what they voted for, basically for the policies of Biden, you know, took about seven or eight thousand dollars out of their pockets. Is that justification to satisfy your hatred? I don't know. I I didn't vote for Biden, so I can't answer that. But I don't think uh, people that voted for Biden would express that kind of remorse to you, especially when you load the question like that. And everything. It just it just blows my mind that people would vote on policies that, that would destroy their wealth. And well, I don't think they I, mean, I don't think they anticipated that. 
Well, I mean, they, they should have had an inkling about it, Pete. I mean, uh, you know, I, I just I, I can't see with the open borders uh, and everything else that he's pushed through, either by executive orders or this Green New Deal. Fred Smith, the CEO from Federal Express, was on Neil Cabuto, and he said this Green New Deal is what pushed fuel prices out of the roof. Mm-hmm. I mean, everything. It just, uh, well, that's, the, see, that's why you but, have your supply chain, man, uh, shortage also. Well, the supply, I mean, well, I mean, come on, the pandemic shut down everything and jammed up the supply lines for months. Anyway, I think, though, to answer your question, I think there were a lot of people that believed Joe Biden would be a more moderate, centrist kind of Democrat. I think that's what they thought, because that's what he positioned himself as. He positioned himself as uh, you know, a sort of a Clintonian, uh, you know, Bill Clinton kind of new Democrat that he wasn't down for all of the most radical progressive ideas that the squad was pushing out there. Right. There's always been this sort of idea that he was a more moderate blue dog kind of Democrat. And w- whether he ever was doesn't really matter. But the people who voted for him, they did not like Donald Trump. They did not like having to deal with every single day, every single news cycle uh, being gobbled up by Trump and Biden came along and hid out in a basement and said, I won't be Trump and I'm a moderate guy. And they were like, please, yes, release us from this. I don't think they thought that it was going to be as bad as it has become. Well, the complete corruption over every day Donald Trump was in office on the first day. I mean, what was it? The Washington Post said that, you know, need to start uh, impeachment. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the American people need to wake up. I mean, the FBI needs to be defunded. A lot of these agencies are corrupt, and a lot of these people in there need to go. I mean, there's there's just no excuse. I don't care how people sugarcoat it. There's no excuse for the situation we're in except for these people want the destruction of the USA, social, you know, a socialist type. Uh, well, we're going to find out if Donald Trump can fulfill your, can fulfill your, uh, your dream. Yeah, we're going to find out if Trump is going to be able to uh, to make that come true. He wasn't able to in the first four years, but we'll see. Uh, Ralph, I do appreciate the call. I mean, and, and we'll see if the Republicans can. If they win today, they take back the House, they take back the Senate. Are they going to get it at the bottom of this? Are they going to go after Biden like they went uh, like the Democrats went after Trump? They're going to impeach Biden. They're going to impeach Fauci. They're going to do covid hearings. They're going to do investigations. If Trump gets back in the race, is he going to win? And if he does win, is is he going to dismantle the FBI? Is he going to go after these intel uh, community actors? Is he going to go after the, quote, deep state? Is he going to do those things? I don't know. I'm not tell- I'm not saying he will or won't, right? But, like, these are just the questions that you can keep asking. It's all speculative at this point. So I don't I don't know the answer. Uh, but I appreciate the call. Ralph, let me go over here to Ned. Hello, Ned. Welcome to the program. How are you? Hey. I don't know either. In the words of Danny Fontana, nobody knows nothing. Yeah, that's true. Um, anyway, I wanted to give a shout-out to a teenager in my house who we dropped off at a poll this morning at 5.45 or 6.30 opening, and they don't close till 7.30, mm-hmm. and that child will still be there volunteering. And I uh, don't know what time, you know, they get released, but um, it's a long day. The schools in our county are closed for Election Day because they use a number of schools. Mm -hmm. And she's actually at a school gymnasium working. But, I, you know, 
ball players get scholarships and stuff, and the academic kids, you know, they got to compete to get into certain schools. And one of the ways they have to have on their, like, for their interviews and all is the kind of volunteer hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was really caught off guard when we found out. Well, that's cool. That's good for her. Volunteering for what? Yeah. No, well, good for her. That's a good thing to do. Ned, I do appreciate the call. It's a good story. I got to run to news here. We'll be back in mere moments. (laughs) 